going to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 147, 1. Title message, the Lord take, takes pleasure. Psalms 147, 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and, and his praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by names, by their names. Great is our Lord and great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifted up the meek. He casteth the weak and wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horses. He takes not, no, not pleasure in the legs of men. The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Let's pray to God, please. Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for all Thy blessings again that You give us in Christ Jesus. Thank for Thy Spirit that leads, directs, and guides us and keeps us and watches over us. We thank Thee, O Lord. He opens up the Word unto us and, and the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He died for us and rose again. We ask Your blessings on the service tonight that everything be done in decent and in order to the honor and glory and Jesus Christ would be magnified and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Lord takes pleasure, as I mentioned before the name of it. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. And so <clears throat> some of the things that we take joy in or pleasure in uh, that we count it as something of value, count, God counts it as nothing. And uh, as we read there, the Lord takes ple- take a pleasure in him, them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. And so we think about uh, many take God for granted and do not understand the power of Almighty God, that he is omnipotent and he has all power, all wisdom, and all knowledge. He uh, he faileth not, and he, uh, if you will, there's nothing that he's learning because he knows it all, and there's not anything he's forgotten other than those things that he says he'll call to not to remembrance. Yeah. And there's a difference between we will say, I, I call that to mind. If we see somebody, we say, uh, we look at them, and we maybe call to mind something they did uh, or something they did to us. And that if we've already forgiven for that, we should never cut, bring that to mind. We should be as God does. He, count, he doesn't count it. He doesn't bring it to mind. He remembers it no more in that sense. And so he has his uh, power and authority, and he blesses his people. And he's unselfish, and he also uh, looks to us and provides for us unselfishly and Yes, God provides his whole creation. Uh, without him, this earth would already perish a long time ago. Uh, Sometimes men try to save the planet, and they try to do this, that, and the other, but 
God is well capable of doing that. And yes, we are caretakers. We are responsible as whatever, wherever God has placed us that we be good caretaker of his creation. And, there, and, and sometimes we're not. But we have responsibility to, as God told Adams to do the earth and so on and so forth. But the ideal there is to become a supervisor, a, uh, if you will, an overseer, uh, that is a watchdog or watch care for God. Yeah. And so we are to, uh, we're not to do things that we ought not do to destroy the planet, as the people say. On the one hand, on the other hand, we know God is in control. And there's some things, you know, you <clears throat> you got to break some eggs to make a milkshake or to uh, scramble eggs. you got to break some to do that. And so there's some things that automatically that if we do and live in this earth is going to cause pollution. I mean, the eggshells you throw away. And uh, so this is the uh, is not something unusual, unique, and it's been going on that way for at least 6,000 years and are almost at that. And... But they in themselves cannot praise God, if you will, in the things that we do and all of this, man going about his business. Uh, but those that, if you will, look to God and hope in God, then they bring, it, bring him pleasure and he bring him glory. A uh, man that says, well, he self-made man, he brings no glory at all to God. Yeah. I mean, he's self-made. He didn't need God to do anything for him and... And this is their ideal, their mind, that they uh, didn't need God for anything. And, of course, they'll find out one day, either sooner or later, uh, that they did need God. They did need, if you will, the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed help, but they, the self-made man or self-made woman in hell will not be sitting around saying, well, look at me. There's not going to be any of that. And those in heaven... Well, won't be saying, look at me. They'll be saying, look at Jesus. Now, he is the one that's made us what we are. <clears throat> In themselves, they cannot praise God, if you will, the creation itself, although God receives praise from the birds and so on and so forth. It says in some of the Psalms, and, and they honor him as they uh, go about their daily business as part of his creation, uh, but they're passive. And... Uh, we should be active. That is, we praise God on purpose. Now, they do it because they're part of God's creation, and the sun and the moon praise God. It tells us in Psalms 19, or the sun there in, in, in uh, Psalms 19, uh, but nonetheless, other places it speaks of the heavenly host of praising God, and they all do it, but it's passive. And we are the ones that, if you will, praise God active, and the angels Praise God actively. <clears throat> the two group, too many groups or churches are in terrible mess and they don't know it because their practices and their doctrine is so off course, if you will. They don't, I don't see how they ever get back without a revival or awakening. And we know God is well capable of doing that. He's done it in the past and he can do it again. I ask God for awakening across our country and revival Revival for his people, awakening across the land and that people might look up and see there is a God. It pleased God when we praise him for his goodness. In verse 2, Jesus is not your foundation uh, and the spirit that uh, your keeper. 
of your soul. In Psalm 127, 1 and 2, 127, 1 and 2, uh, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman may, may awake, excuse me, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, set up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for who so he giveth his beloved sleep. And so we find that God, if you will, except the Lord build a house and now we could think about that in several different ways and think about the church, 1 Corinthians 3rd chapter. We think about it in Ephesians where it speaks of our bodies being the temple of the Lord and, and that it's made a habitation for the Spirit. And, and so we find many things the Scriptures speak of, a building, and, and that we're a part of that building process and part of the building. And so except the Lord build the house, then we labor in vain. All the efforts of mankind cannot build a temple unto God. You can't make a house unto God. <clears throat> you cannot, if you will, in any way, shape, or form, make this well-pleasing unto God unless God is the builder of the house. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that we do, or foolishness, if you will, because it takes God to build the earth. As God formed the earth to be inhabited, and in <clears throat> Psalms, I mean, excuse me, Isaiah 45, 1 through 8. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it. Not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And I said through verse 8, that's just the first couple of verses. But nonetheless, it goes on to praise God. But he did form it to be inhabited. And we notice each part of it didn't say, uh, I and Moses, uh, Adam done this, or I and somebody else done this, or I and uh, uh, Archangel Michael did this. And he says very clearly, For thus saith the Lord that created the, heaven, uh, the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he has established it, he created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. And I am the Lord and there is none else. So again, there's no I or with or somebody else or the council of angels or anything else is spoken of. It says God specifically done this. He built the house. He built the earth, if you will, and he built it to be inhabited. And there's this is the only planet that this is said about and somebody said well you know a different galaxy and there's going to be this and we got uh think about the seven gates you know or seven i think seven gates one of these going to catch a spaceship and go up and to somewhere you know and go to heaven i don't know what they're where they're going and so they think there's another planet but this this is the only one that god said he made it to be inhabited and you look at the moon Without gear on, you can't live there. Mars, you can't live there. Venus, you can't live there. There's no other planet that you could find, search for, and look for that's made to be inhabited. And we got the water, we got the atmosphere, we got everything you need for life, and all the life on the earth is supported, if you will, in the system that God created. Building a new Jerusalem in Revelation, the third chapter. And the twelfth verse, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my, of my God, and he shall 
Go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the city, name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my, <clears throat> from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And so we speak here of eternity and exactly what a pillar. I preached the message, I think it's, it might have been last year now, but the, been a pillar in the house of God. And uh, that's something that we're going to look forward to, even though we don't fully understand what it is. Yeah. We know it's of importance, and if you will, those that overcome are going to be uh, pillars in the house of God and, and the temple of God, and yet we're going to be... Uh, there is not a building there. There's, <clears throat> there's no temple, and yet the Father and Son are the temple thereof. And so it's, uh, <clears throat> it's you say, well, I don't understand what that means. I don't either. <clears throat> but I know it's going to be grand. It's going to be wonderful. And we'll be a part of that new Jerusalem. <clears throat> there will not be all there. There are there, those that come from the earth and bring honor and glory unto New Jerusalem, and we'll not get into that, but there's a new heaven and a new earth, and and uh, John saw the holy city descending as if it was a bride adorned for uh, the groom, if you will, and and we look at that, and what does that mean? Well, we other places speaks about all those that are born there, you know, were joined to or wedded to uh, Jerusalem, and that was speaking of the Jews on the earth. Uh, being, uh, if you will, attached to Jerusalem. And this is speaking about the dwelling place of the bride of Christ. And it comes down to dawn as a building that God has prepared for us, as Jesus speaks of here, that's adorned, and if you will, for uh, his bride uh, to take place. Now we know others are going to be there because the scriptures tells us they're going to be there, like Abraham looking for a city not made by hand. We assume that's New Jerusalem. And I said assume because it doesn't say that. And then in Psalms 147.3, the saints uh, praise God for he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounded. Proverbs 15.13, a merry heart makes the cheer, cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, <clears throat> the spirit is broken. And so to have a contrite heart and spirit, if you will, it has to be broken. And sometimes God takes us through deep sorrows and deep times, if you will, that he might build us back up. And that is to take away, if you will, the dependence on self, depending on our, in the, as used in this passage, depending on our legs or depending on our minds, if you will, for <clears throat> our ability to serve God. And God, God takes us to the point that we know not, we cannot, we know for sure we can't serve him <clears throat> without the, his power and strength. And, and he has his precious promises. We think of Jesus, our great physician, and he is one that heals us, if you will. He heals the brokenhearted, and he takes care of those, if you will, of his sheep that's gone astray, brings them back in the fold. And, and the ideal of carrying the lamb around, uh, if you've ever stated it out, you know that uh, sometimes the shepherd, if he's got a wandering sheep, will break the leg and then carry it around until it heals. And that lamb don't stray away anymore. And so there's some times that, <clears throat> that we, God takes uh, uh, great care, if you will, or drastic action in our lives to point us and get us in the wrong 
in the right way, if you will, because we're in the wrong way. It bind, he binds our wound, uh, wounds. He heals the breaches of the heart. He grie- <clears throat> it's grief, sorrow, and uh, we must bear in First Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. And this is, literally means what it says. I know sometimes we want to argue about different words there, but you, if you look in the scriptures, you'll find that there's nothing that you cannot cast upon the Lord. You got financial problem, cast them on the Lord. Physical problem, cast them on the Lord. You got mental problems, cast them on the Lord. It doesn't make any difference what it is, the problems you have in your life, or your neighbors have difficulties, or what, cast them on the Lord. I mean, intercede on their behalf. Take up that burden, if you will, that God might deliver them. Of the tribulation of the saints in Revelation 7, 17, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into into the living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And mention also in Revelation 21, 4, how he will remove all the uh, tears from our eyes. And 21, 4 says, And the Lord will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And so that is what we speak about when we talk about heaven, when we talk about going to New Jerusalem, when we talk and speak of that, if you will, the afterlife, uh, these things will be passed away. You're not experiencing them ever again. And, and somebody says, well, we remember, Isaiah seems to say, I think, in, I can't remember, 60 or which chapter is in, it seems to say that these things will be forgotten. We'll remember them no more. It will not be upper, uppermost in our eyes. We'll be in the presence of Jesus. And so I don't think we'll be worried about those things that have transpired before. There, God heals the brokenhearted, as we mentioned, Jeremiah 23, 9-11. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man who wines and wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of the holiness of his holiness for the land is full of adulterers for because of swearing and land mourneth the pleasant <clears throat> places of the wilderness are dried up and they their course is evil and their forces is not right for both prophet and priest are profane yea in my house have I found that wickedness saith that wickedness, their wickedness, saith the Lord. <clears throat> and saith, and so when we think about this passage, you know, this is talking about God's people. Yeah. Talking about God's people and God's house. And this is talking about those that are joined to it, a part of it. And you say, well, some of them are pretty wicked, but let me tell you, churches put up a lot now. Yeah. <clears throat> the parents put up with their children living with somebody without marriage, you know, and sometimes take them into their house and living like that. And they say, well, they don't have any other place to go. I don't want to kick them out on the street and so on and so forth. So you know, let's just give in to the devil. Let him take it, and, you know, uh, and just open our house up to foolishness and wickedness. And, and we find that in churches, that, uh, as I mentioned before, that, that don't practice proper discipline. And, and sometimes the preachers, 
uh, <clears throat> get off and they do those things they're not supposed to and then for long we say well we got to forgive and forget there's some things that are not and and I'll just tell you what I believe about it and then you can say you can argue with me later <clears throat> I think that Timothy speaks of the pastor there the bishop and speaks of the deacons and the pastor is an example of Christ and his bride and the deacon is example of a, of a proper marriage in the church uh, uh, his husband as a husband and wife and this is the example of what a marriage should be and so the pastor reflects the bride in Christ and you can argue with me later and the deacons pa- practice or deliver or, or model what a family is supposed to be now you say well the preacher is too that's absolutely right but the point is, if is Christ going to divorce his bride? I mean, is he? I mean, I, I haven't found any place where it says that Christ is going to divorce his bride. And yet, just think of all the divorced, remarried men that are preaching now. And, and the point I'm making is that it doesn't honor Christ when we do those types of things. We could think of a lot of things where they run off the secretary and all this foolishness that goes on and next week, next year, they'll be back pastoring somewhere. And, and and you think, well, well, preacher, you know, we just live in the world and all this. That's true. But the church is to be an example of the believer. He's been, the church is supposed to be an example not only of the believer, but also what a house of God should look like. A house that God built. The one that He puts together. And He adds to the church as, as it seems fit to Him. And so He adds to it that they be a part of the church. And yes, you say, well, people will have all kinds of sin. That's true. But there are examples in the church of what it should be. And then there's the example of redemption because <clears throat> there's no sin you can commit that is not redeemable. Somebody says blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and that's correct if it says we blaspheme, but <clears throat> elect can't do that. Not elect can do that. I mean, that's just impossible for one of God's children, whether they're saved yet or not, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit as Jesus spoke of it there <clears throat> and giving credit to, uh, to the devil for what the Holy Spirit was done, but it's more involved than that, but we don't have time for that. But the point I'm making is it, is it is the building of God. And it reflects God. And so whether it's the temple that we are the temple of God or whether it's the church, not the building itself, but the church he's built, the members thereof, and we are to reflect what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be the children of God, what it is to be of the kingdom of God and the family of God. God heals the repentant. And sinners whose hearts is broken over their sins and Psalms thirty four eighteen <clears throat> The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as of a contrite spirit. <clears throat> Psalms fifty one seventeen The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. So, how does the heart get broken? 
It's not talked about because your girl broke up with you and you, you know, you sorrow because the, of a car broke down or whatever else it might be or that you got some kind of sickness or disease or something like that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being broken hearted over our sins. <clears throat> that we, if you will, we come before God in uh, our sins and because of His holiness, it causes us to be broken hearted of a contrite spirit. And that brokenness is speaking about repentance, trying to be reconciled with God, get right with God. And, and in doing so, if you will, God is well pleased in that. He says, oh God, thou will not despise. And we're thankful that God doesn't hold a grudge. I mean, sometimes we forgive people and hold a grudge. But God forgives you. He doesn't hold a grudge. It's over. As far as God's concerned, it's done away with. Is as if, is as it is as if you didn't do it, and it is coming before God, casting our cares upon Him and confessing our sins before Him. The wicked, the criminal, what man should ever praise with thanksgiving for all the, His goodness to usward. God is praised because He is greater in power. God is the Creator of all things. Genesis one one, and then He. Created the heavens and the earth, and he created the lights of the heaven, the stars, the moon, the sun, and uh, to rule over the over the days, if you will, and nights, and for seasons, and so on and so forth. Uh, God gave all of this. By the way, shouldn't plant by the moon. I don't know where they get that from. God said it's set up there for season. It is set there for a purpose, for a reason. And we're to use it. It's not witchcraft. It's not voodoo. It's nothing like that. It is God has put it there. And when you see this at this time of the year, this is a time to do something. And you can learn that by practice. If you don't already know it, because it's passed down or should be passed down. Not only did God create them, but he called them by name. I'm thinking about the stars of heaven and and the... I put in my notes, first of all, you telescope and all that, you know, you can see trillions of stars. So I went on the web and got an estimate of how many stars that scientists think there are. 200 billion trillion. <clears throat> U.S. 6 trillion, 200 U.S. 6 trillion, or 200 followed by 21 zeros. That's a lot of stars. And God knows each one by name. We have a few names given in the scriptures, uh, different ones in Job and, and Deuteronomy and other places which speaks of uh, particular stars or whatever or constellations and that type of thing. But let me say to you, God knows them all. <clears throat> and if you look up at the heavens and Think about all the stars you can see on a good clear night and that all of them are named. God knows every one of them. When one star burns out, God knows it. Knows it by name. <clears throat> if we think about that, we talk about God's omniscient, that's part of his knowledge. Knoweth all things. He not only knows the name of the star, but he knows how long it's going to last. And whether it's going to go past the time that destroys the heavens and the earth, or if it's going to, if you will, die before that. 
God knows all things, and and he's omnipotent that he is, uh, as we mentioned before, having all power, omniscient, having all knowledge, and omnipresent, being everywhere at once. There's no place where God is not. Solomon, in his prayer, when they're dedicating the temple, and he was speaking of there of God, and he told about the Holy of Holies, and you look at that temple, and then if you've ever seen one of those diagrams, the Holy of Holies, which is supposed to be the presence of God, and Solomon said, this can't hold you. He said, the heavens of heavens can't hold you. He said, ye are above thy creation. What do you mean by that? God is greater than his creation. And there is not anything outside of God. If you went to the uttermost part of the of the creation or space, let's say space, if you go to the ultimate end of it, God be there. There's no place that God is not. And so when we think about these things, about these stars and all that, God knows us also by name. Well, it's only about, what, 7 billion people or 8 billion people on the earth? Compared to the stars, not hardly anything. I mean, they're really not. I mean, uh, 7 billion, 8 billion people, God knows them all by name. God knows everything about them. He is not without knowledge. He's not without power. And, and the point I'm making sometimes, we think God is little than, than we, if you will, than he is. And when I say that, I thought, well, that's not a good way to put that. God is grander than all we can even think of. <clears throat> and the God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. When people complain about the creation, they're complaining about God's handiwork. Right. Now, the things that man makes up, messes up, and the sin that was brought in the world, and God, <clears throat> if you will, defaced the earth because of sin, and instead of living forever, animals die, people die, and because of man's fall. Nonetheless, when God got finished making it, he saw that it was very good. He was well pleased with it, and that speaking of us, that we are part of his creation, in that day we stand before him, we'll stand there blameless before God in love, it tells us in scriptures, and as we stand before them, he'll be well pleased. In Zephaniah, it shows the potter. <clears throat> and the potter, uh, he's uh, got the pots he's put in there and, and all of this. And yes, I know it's speaking of Israel, but I think we can apply it to all his people. They open up that kill or knock away, that depends on what they've done them in, and, and then they bring them out. And as he looks over them, he sings over them. And uh, all those are amazed, standing around the host that's around the potter. And this potter brings them out and he sings over each one of them. They've been transformed from ugly-looking clay to something beautiful. There's something there that he can adorn the new Jerusalem if you will, with that pottery that he made. Those clay vessels that he's changed 
into the likeness of His dear Son. And yes, they'll all be different. They're not going to be all the same, everyone looking like a teacup. But nonetheless, each one will have its beauty. And he will not stand around and say, well, I think I got the best of this deal. I'm more beautiful. No. We'll just be praising God. It's not like here. Sometimes we think, uh, some people think they're good looking or something, you know, and they, you can see it swelling all over them. They think they're good looking. And maybe they are. But in heaven, the handiwork of God is what's beautiful. Not, not the pieces in themselves, but of the potter that made them is in Zephaniah singing over them and then the host praising God as it mentions in Revelation 20 and 21. So we see God has made everything. He's created everything. He's done for his own good pleasure, if you will. At first, God provided hydraulics to furnish the water. We'd not be able to deal with those scriptures in, the, in Genesis uh, 2, 5, and 6. His rivers there. God uh, gave rivers there to water, uh, the, uh, if you will, the Garden of Eden. And a mist come up. And there wasn't any rain. Just a mist come up. Watered the ground. Then it it run back into the river. And so this was God's method of hydraulics. Uh, brother, Dr. Morse, he's a brother in Christ. He's got a, I think, exceptionally good ideal of that. He's a, a doctor of physics. He, he's not a doctor of theology, but I think he has, a, if you will, a good idea how all that worked. Part of his case says, nevertheless, God did not created all things, and then walk away. It continues management. And theoevolutionists say, well, God big banged it, and then he left. And then somebody come and told him things are going awful, so he sends his son out to retrieve some part of it. Not, I know not every theoevolution believes exactly like that. But they do believe he big banged it and left. You say, well, they're Christians, preacher. I, I don't know. That's between them and God. But when you deny that God created these things and that he continues to watch over his creation, you're denying what God says in his word. God takes pleasure in those that fear him. They use horses to plow with, war horses, pull chairs, transportation. We don't have any of that now too much. I mean, some places have the horses, but you don't see, well, certain areas do see horses pulling, pulling wagons, but, uh, but for the most part, you don't see that. We take pride in our, in our big equipment, big automobiles, and, you know, they got 400 horsepower. I've got the, you know, overhead... Back in my day, it was a double overhead cam. You know, that's what you had to have to have a good souped-up car, and we take pleasure in those things. <clears throat> Man likes to take pleasure in the things he has. And he likes taking pleasure in, but mine's better than yours. And that's what a lot of these truck-pulling, tractor-pulling contests and all that is saying. Mine is better than yours. 
Now, if you whip me, I'm going to spend another $100,000 getting mine all souped up again so mine be better than yours. But God takes no pleasure in that. He takes no pleasure, more pleasure in that than he did the horse, man's legs, man's arms. Because all that we have that is worthwhile comes from God. And he's made us as it pleased him to make us. And yes, some look better to others, and some look ugly to others, but the beauty is in the eye beholder. And some things that we look at as ugly, other people see it as being beautiful. Many are the things that man takes pride in. And I did have a list of things that men take pride in, but you can think of all the things you take pride in. And that's, you like to show people. You know, this is, man, I got this. And <clears throat> there's nothing absolute wrong with that if we don't forget where we got it from and that God takes no pleasure in it. He takes pleasure in our <clears throat> praising Him. He takes pleasure in that we fear Him. He takes pleasure in that our serving, that we serve Him. They look, <clears throat> they look to God for they... No, he is all-powerful, full of love and mercy for those that fear him. The last verse in verse 11 says, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Those should be the most important thing of our life rather than do I have a 500 horsepower engine in this, that, or the other. It's, it's nothing wrong with owning things as long as they don't own us. Do you ever have a little shadow of doubt about God and His Word? <clears throat> if what God says about creation, <clears throat> man's condition, then there is no hope. If Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that only way to God then is <clears throat> is Jesus, then he created the heavens and the earth because the scripture says he created the heavens and the earth and all things therein. He opened the Red Sea. He was the rock that followed uh, the Jews. And in the New Testament, it said that rock was Jesus or Christ. And so, so when we think about children of Israel coming across there and, and it speaks about the angel and all that following him and speaks about that rock, that rock is Jesus. If Jesus is not who he says he is, you have no hope. And the building that you're building will not endure. It won't make it into eternity. It's only those that build the foundation of Jesus Christ that mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And of course, again, it's talking about the church building on that solid foundation. And then in Ephesians, it speaks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. The apostles are the, are the foundation thereof. In case you're wondering, because they're not here now. And they're not here in, the, in spirit either. The point I'm making is, either God's a liar, or he tells the truth. Not only does he tell the truth, he is truth. There's no shadow in him. He's not like us. We're made in his image, but we're made by and by our, our 
ourselves as a fallen <coughs> creation, if you will, and even as Christians, we do things that are not godly. We do things that dishonors God, but God is perfect and true. He doesn't lie. He doesn't tell fibs, and he always does that which is right.